From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. The COVID-19 pandemic um, has definitely reshaped the delivery of healthcare uh, to include increased use of um, telehealth, you know, also referred to as telemedicine or virtual care. Uh, telemedicine may be the most prevalent form of virtual health now, but going forward, um, this is going to change as healthcare transitions to a, a value-based care environment. That's Judy Klein talking about the trends in virtual care. We'll hear more from Judy in just a moment with more insights on remote patient monitoring and value-based care. But first, a word from our sponsors. MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Financial Conference is an industry-leading financial management conference designed to arm healthcare professionals with the education and tools needed to run a more profitable and efficient practice. The Financial Conference brings together leading financial experts from across the healthcare spectrum. The conference will be held from March 31st through April 2nd in Atlanta. Go to mgma.com events to register today. Most health systems lack a sophisticated understanding of the root cause of the losses within their network. HSG has identified the solutions. Whether you're struggling with your practice management dashboards or lacking a reporting structure that will keep your data consistent and valuable for decision-making, HSG has the answers you need. Go to hsgadvisors.com to improve your practice's performance today. Our guest today is Judy Klein. Judy is a risk management manager at Coveris. Judy's here today to talk about virtual care and wearable technology drivers, in addition to risk mitigation best practices for organizations hoping to harness the power of technology. Judy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. The opportunity. You are very welcome. So I'm going to go over a couple of things here. It, it, in doing some research on you, it looks like you're a risk management manager at Coveris. Um, just to give our listeners a little bit of background, what is Coveris's mission, purpose, value statement, anything like that, just so we get a little bit of understanding about uh, what you guys do there. Sure. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Coveris is nationally recognized as the fourth largest medical professional liability insurer in the United States. Uh, in total, Coveris insures about 46,000 physicians, dentists, and advanced practice providers, and over 1,000 facilities, which include hospitals, health clinics, and other businesses in the healthcare field. Our mission is to support and protect uh, the healthcare community. So we're committed to helping healthcare providers and organizations focus on what matters most, and that's providing you know, superior patient care and improving the health of their communities. Uh, we offer uh, a lot of innovative solutions to help our policyholders succeed. 
including a range of flexible uh, coverage options, uh, best-in-class resources and education, uh, advanced data analytics that help uncover the root causes of risks, uh, which are used to develop actionable insights to reduce risk, uh, superior claims defense and support, uh, and then finally, but very importantly, during the pandemic, uh, emotional support programs to assist our uh, healthcare providers who are experiencing, you know, a claim, adverse event, or or burnout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the pandemic specifically because y'all are in that risk management side of things. I'm just curious, what did an event, a catastrophic event like the pandemic, do? either to y'all's mission, if you had to pivot at all, or like you're saying, uh, redirect some focus toward that emotional support as well. What were some of those biggest changes you experienced? Sure, Um, so Covaris Risk Management and Analytics is is a data and analytics-driven risk management operation. So in other words, we try to be as predictive as possible to identify where the risks to patients are and then espouse a proactive risk management approach. Uh, We have the benefit of an analytics department and they code all of our closed claims using uh, a detailed taxonomy. And that data assists us in identifying risk signals that help drive our risk and education efforts to proactively assist our policyholders to reduce risk and liability. So by using a data-driven assessments, and customized and specialty specific education programs, uh, we take a proactive versus a reactive approach to supporting our insureds. Uh, In addition to closed claims data, we also proactively educate and prepare our insureds on emerging risks in healthcare, such as remote patient monitoring. So with the pandemic, uh, we remain proactive and vigilant by responding to our insureds needs as things change during the pandemic, sometimes on a minute by minute basis, uh, by providing our insureds with the key resources they needed. So some examples were supporting our insureds through our consultation line, which they could phone in on um, when needed, uh, providing virtual customized education programs uh, when we weren't able to do it in person as well as a plethora of resources, including uh, virtual uh, self-assessments, templates, tools on various topics, uh, including uh, telemedicine, which which became very critical um, means to provide care for patients during the pandemic. And we have all that information on our Covaris Knowledge Center located on our Covaris website at www.covaris.com. And then at the same time, we continued to support the emotional health and well-being of our policyholders through our emotional support program. Uh, That was critical during the pandemic and continues to be an invaluable program to our insureds um, at this time. Uh, Some options that we offer include uh, emotional support groups that were um, that were very very well received um, during the pandemic, as well as um, individual consultation, uh, emotional support. Okay, okay, well, I I appreciate that. Yeah, I was gonna ask you on several of those items, like the predictive modeling that looks at telehealth or remote patient care, that sort of thing. So 
seems like you guys were already in that. So let's be more specific with you then as a risk management manager, what does your day-to-day -day look like? What's uh, Judy's when you get up in the morning? What what do you go through? What's what's going on in your world from dusk to dawn there, so to speak? I think um, our day-to-day -day and and our goal, um, you know, for this coming year is to continue to proactively serve and support our policyholders using, you know, a data and analytics-driven uh, risk management model that really um, has been and remains a priority goal for us, you know, as we move into the new year, um, and just continuing to to provide the needed resources um, like data-driven risk assessments or customized uh, education programs on emerging risks like uh, you know virtual care and remote patient monitoring. Uh, we want to you know in our day-to-day -day be as as uh, as proactive and predictive as possible uh, so that we can identify where the risks to patients are and then in turn uh, provide that information to our insurers to, to support a proactive uh, risk management approach uh, to them. Mm -hmm. What's your background then? Were you always, uh, like, did you study risk management in school? I mean, or is that something you gravitated to at a certain point in your career? What, what did that pathway look like? Uh, our we have a team of um, about 30 um, risk consultants and they're located all across uh, the United States. And uh, they have a, uh, a variety uh, of backgrounds. Um, most of them um, have some type of a clinical background. Um, some have uh, legal backgrounds. And uh, my background is um, a physician assistant. Um, and so um, the neat thing about that and for the others on our team is we're able to use our, you know, our clinical backgrounds um, as we support, you know, as we support our insureds from um, a risk uh, perspective. Many of us got involved in risk management um, by um, working in either practices or, you know, healthcare organizations on the clinical end. Um, on the clinical end first, and then moving into uh, a risk management role, and then ultimately um, working for uh, a medical professional liability insurance company like Covaris. Okay, that, that's very helpful to understand. So let's get more specific then. You had mentioned a little bit about remote care, wearable technologies, telehealth, all those aspects that were really integral to bringing care to patients during the pandemic. Um, so let's talk about that first from, and I wanna ask you about that from how perhaps the pandemic impacted the traditional care models to those hybrid care models where you maybe are bringing people in when they need to be in versus when frankly, if they're able to uh, get the care they need from their home, how that looked like as well with these new technologies. Certainly, Dan. You know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic um, has definitely reshaped the delivery of healthcare uh, to include increased use of um, telehealth, you know, also referred to as telemedicine or virtual care. Uh, telemedicine may be the most prevalent form of virtual health now, but 
going forward, um, this is going to change as healthcare transitions to a, a value-based care environment. So uh, virtual health is going to play um, you know, a big role in containing costs, improving efficiency, uh, and in equity and care access, as well as in improving the quality of care. Uh, so what, what you'll see, um, what you'll begin to see is um, the integration of um, telehealth in the form of what I refer to as hybrid models of care. So um, when I talk about hybrid models, you know, you'll, you'll continue to have patients be seen in the office, um, in an office environment or in the hospital, uh, but other options for patients will be, you know, the virtual care or telemedicine model. Uh, but in, in addition to both of those, um, they will be paired or aligned with the use of remote patient monitoring or wearables. Um, and uh, you'll see this um, because those types of devices, wearable devices or remote monitoring devices are going to um, help keep patients healthier and improve their life experience and outcomes. And it's something that um, patients and consumers like us want. So as we move toward value-based care, uh, the wearable technology is expected to play a role in virtual care because it allows providers to closely monitor a patient's health outside of the office as a means to augment, if you will, that traditional medical care model. Um, because those devices provide a really efficient way to monitor care, especially for uh, stable patients with chronic conditions, to monitor those chronic conditions like diabetes or heart disease. It's also um, proven to be very valuable to manage patients immediately after their hospital discharge to make sure they understand uh, their, you know, their homegoing instructions and their follow-up treatment plan, and also supporting patients in this hospital at home environment. Um, I did want to share though um, with, with um, folks that will be listening that a little bit about the term wearables. Mm -hmm. uh, wearables means uh, electronic devices that are worn on our bodies that have the ability to track patient data like your heart rate or your blood pressure or your body temperature your, or your blood oxygen saturation level or your blood glucose level or your activity, like the number of steps you walked or ran um, and sleep patterns. So the goal of the technology is to remotely monitor and engage patients in their care, uh, keeping a close eye on the patient's condition. Um, so the idea is, you know, when you're monitoring the patients like that, um, you can pick up on potential issues um, to uh, prevent the patient from becoming in a critical situation where they would need to be admitted um, to ultimately then save costs or reduce costs. So for our purposes today, um, my focus is really on what I call prescription devices like continuous uh, glucose monitoring systems or CGMs that uh, diabetic patients can use or uh, over-the-counter devices like smartwatches that many of us wear to monitor, monitor specific diseases or capture wellness metrics. Um, and then there's typically two types um, of devices. There's, there's medical grade and there's consumer grade. Mm. And when you hear 
when you hear of medical um, grade devices, those are devices that have been approved by the uh, FDA or the Food and D Drug Administration. Uh, they're comparable to other medical devices that um, you, know, you see being used in healthcare in that they undergo testing and validation, the results of which were submitted to the FDA for review and approved. Um, those devices um, typically tend to be more accurate and reliable than the other type of device, consumer grade devices. Um, the consumer grade devices aren't approved or cleared by the FDA, uh, but they're available to consumers without a prescription. So they're intended to promote uh, wellness or healthy lifestyle. Um, and you know, those are your, you know, your Fitbits and your other smart watches that um, many of us use. Uh, the consumer grade devices are known to have uh, a little bit more variability in their data, uh, often either overestimating or underestimating in comparison to um, the medical devices. So I wanted to bring that to everybody's attention because uh, providers and organizations need to be aware of the limitations of the data uh, when using the devices, especially if they're gonna be used you know, as part of clinical decision-making in a practice. Uh, and then ultimately they need to explain those limitations to uh, their patients um, as well. So it's also important for providers and health systems to really think about um, which services uh, a remote monitoring device might be appropriate for and which patients are best suited for you know, this, type of, um, this type of care or the integration or the utilization of remote patient monitoring. Okay, that, that's very helpful, uh, breaking down what's the, you know, medical grade versus consumer grade, because that can be confusing a little bit. So I did want to ask you a few more questions about remote monitoring programs, for instance. Are there any policies, workflows that providers really need to implement in order to make that uh, a success? I mean, I guess, what are those drivers that y'all are looking at? Uh, that that drive actually to success there. Uh, that that's a great uh, question, Dan. There's there's several drivers that are promoting what I call this remote monitoring revolution. Uh, the the COVID nineteen pandemic was certainly the catalyst, right, to accelerate growth in virtual care uh, and telemedicine and and this remote monitoring revolution. But we as consumers uh, or patients were also a significant driving force for the movement toward um, their use too. So many of the patients wanna take a more active role in their care. Uh, we're living in an age where nearly everyone is digitally connected in some way, right? Most every one of us has some type of a smartphone or you know wearable uh, smartwatch um, that we're sporting. So. That's, that's every age group uh, living by you know, smartphones or digital devices. Uh, and so that's driving um, us wanting to be more engaged in our care too. Um, according to the American Hospital Association's uh, 2022 environmental scan report, 26% uh, of consumers own a wearable health device or use a smartphone to track their wellness. 50% of patients would say they'd allow information to be sent directly from their device to their uh, healthcare provider's office. 
and 57% believe the data is useful and they want it to be collected by their doctor. So I think those figures um, are pretty telling. And according to Pew Research, um, by 2025, these wearable devices are gonna be ubiquitous. Uh, the rapid pace of technology is also uh, another driver uh, to moving us in this direction because technology continues to get better. Uh, you know, we have longer battery lives, uh, the accurate accuracy of the information or the measures uh, is improving and uh, the devices are easier to use and uh, less expensive too. Um, in underserved and rural or remote areas or for patients with, you know, limited mobility, uh, this type of, um, you know, this hybrid model of care and using uh, wearable health technology provide patients with the tools they need to be able to communicate with their providers in between visits from really the comfort of their own home. So for patients with, you know, chronic stable conditions, um, you know, these tracking devices like glucometers for blood sugar or smart scales that offer the ability to, you know, monitor, monitor conditions from home makes a lot of um, sense from a convenience standpoint for patients. Um, so, you know, this type of, this type of care is really empowering uh, patients to meet their own health goals and improve their overall well-being too. Um, and then I think, a, you know, a couple of final drivers are aging, the aging patient population and rise in chronic diseases, um, all driving this demand toward wearables um, because it allows patients with those chronic conditions like diabetes or heart uh, disease to, to be more accountable uh, and help their help incentivize, uh, incentivize them and keep them engaged in their treatment plan. And then I think lastly, uh, reimbursement's a driver too. So in January of 2019, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services or CMS uh, released some revised um, coding you know, allowing uh, providers uh, to uh, receive reimbursement related to um, remote monitoring. Okay. I, you mentioned this AHA study. Do you have a name to that or anything? Because I would love to post a link to that study in our show notes for our listeners so they could access that as well. Sure. It's called... Um, the American Hospital Association's 2022 Environmental Scan. Mm -hmm. That's what it's called, Environmental Scan. And I'm happy to uh, forward you uh, the link to that um, if that, you know, if that'd be helpful to you. I would love that. Yeah, if you get a chance, please do that. So let's go to our next question then. Um, oh, I... It, it, you really can't have a conversation about healthcare right now without staffing. And so I wanted to just see, is there additional administrative burden um, placed on staffs when they add in uh, that remote patient care and add that side to their, to their toolbox, so to speak? Well, Dan, I think you need to look at um, the long-term benefits of using remote uh, patient monitoring or wearables, um, including the fact that, you know, they keep uh, patients healthier out of the hospital and ultimately drive down costs 
um, in the infancy of, of any program being you know, implemented or, or getting it off the ground, there's going to be bumps um, and opportunities for improvements or refinements in the program. But um, as these programs evolve and workflows are refined, um, and you determine which patients are best suited for the program because you, you, know, uh, you won't be able to use it in every um, situation, in every patient situation. Um, the, the practices will learn and organizations will learn to gain efficiency in operating um, the program, which ultimately leads to improved quality of care, improved outcomes, high patient satisfaction and reduced costs. So I, I think the key here is um, doing your homework um, to evaluate um, the type of you know, platform you're going to use and how it's going to work. So workflows are key. And then um, the other important piece, just as in, like with telemedicine or virtual care, is educate, educating and training both your, um, your staff, your providers who are going to be um, using remote patient monitoring as well as educating and training uh, patients that, that will be key to, um, successfully, to a successful program. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about risk then. That is your specialty here, so we really need to get to that. So what are the risks then with wearable technologies, remote patient monitoring? What does it open up for those providers and their practices? Sure. Uh, so the migration to using remote uh, remote monitoring does present um, a lot of exciting possibilities, but whenever we have something new, it does bring risk. So some of the key areas and strategies to mitigating that risk uh, when you're incorporating remote monitoring practices include one that I just mentioned, uh, staff and provider education on the device. I mean, that's critical. So once the practice or the organization makes a decision, you know, to use this type of monitoring, it's really important to um, teach everybody um, how to use uh, the devices, uh, keep them educated and abreast of the most current information uh, regarding wearables like we're doing here today. Um, and uh, also um, keeping your staff informed of the approved uses and any FDA alerts and recalls as well. Um, in addition, uh, patient selection is key. I mentioned, you know, not every patient is going to be an appropriate candidate for remote monitoring. So several factors should be considered, including, you know, how motivated is that patient to manage their health, as well as their ability to understand and, um, and te use technology too. Um, and then once it's decided um, that that patient is an appropriate candidate, educating them um, as well um, on the technology they're going to use. They need to know how to use it, how to maintain it, when and how to often, how often to transmit the data to the practice, uh, what to do if the device malfunctions, and how their healthcare team will respond to alerts. So uh, practices develop um, guardrails of which that patient's data should stay within. And if the data, you know, if the data falls outside of those guardrails, if you will, then an alert goes off. So how is that going to work? Uh, does the patient contact the practice, the practice contact uh, the patient, 
and the healthcare team needs to be um, educated on um, those workflows um, or guidelines as well. Informed consent and setting expectations is critical. So uh, before you know, starting the monitoring, discussing expectations and roles and responsibilities is, is key. Patients need to understand that even though they have you know, their healthcare team monitoring this data uh, periodically, that if they feel sick or they feel like they're having an emergency, they need to call 911 you know, or go to the nearest emergency room. Um, it's also important um, as part of informed consent to uh, have that, um, that documented, including um, that the patient was informed of how to use the technology and that should be documented in the medical record. And having um, a written agreement outlining expectations, roles, and responsibilities regarding wearables uh, for that patient and in that patient's chart is important as well. Um, and then I think finally having, um, making sure that the, the practice um, as part of their workflows determines who uh, from a healthcare professional perspective is going to monitor and respond to the data and, and how often um, as well. Uh, interoperability with uh, the, the patient's medical record is key too, because when you're dealing with uh, remote monitoring, the practice is gonna be receiving, analyzing and following up on a lot of data. And it can be daunting, um, but having, having a workflow process in place for how that's gonna work and an individual or individuals that have the education training and experience to do that um, is key. Uh, because if the organization isn't prepared to interact with technology, it can lead to claims uh, such as a failure to monitor, failure to detect something or a misdiagnosis. So um, education and, and workflows um, are key. And then I think um, finally data breaches and cybersecurity um, mm -hmm. are a huge area of risk uh, because we're dealing with technology. So uh, wearables are transmitting patient data, it's technology. And so the risks for data breaches exist. So um, it's important for practices to properly encrypt their data um, and um, to comply with HIPAA or the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. So incorporating references to uh, telemedicine, remote patient monitoring into your notice of privacy practices uh, in your organizations is key too. Uh, the FDA offers guidance uh, on cybersecurity risks for medical devices. So I would encourage anybody that's listening uh, to review the information they have um, accordingly, uh, they uh, recommend that providers who use these devices not just rely on manufacturers to ensure security and safeguarding of patient information, but they also, um, you know, recommend that the, the practice or the provider of the organization do the same within their, you know, for their own network or within their own network. Okay. Well, Judy, I think that's a great place to stop. I, I really appreciate you sharing these thoughts and insights with us about uh, remote patient monitoring, uh, the risks uh, involved, wearable technologies. Um, really appreciate that. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Pleasure's mine.
Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Judy Klein. Also, thanks to MGMA's Financial Conference and to HSG for sponsoring this week's show. If you're struggling with your practice management dashboards or lacking a reporting structure that will keep your data consistent and valuable for decision-making, HSG has the answers you need. Go to hsgadvisors.com to improve your practice's performance today. And the Medical Practice Excellence Financial Conference is an industry-leading financial management conference designed to arm healthcare professionals with the education and tools needed to run a more profitable and efficient practice. The financial conference will be held March 31st through April 2nd in Atlanta. You can go to mgma.com events to register today. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And to access all of our podcasts, go to mgma.com slash listen. And if you want to add to the conversation, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.